straight from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show, starring Chris and C.L. Brown. On tonight's episode, we welcome TheAthletic.com, Kansas City Chiefs beat reporter Nate Taylor. Also, a Mother's Day tribute and NCAA transfer portal talk. You know, running this announced team isn't easy work. I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. No te preocupes, Sandy. You have help. Vámonos. On your left, Rosemary. New York City representing here, too. That's right, Jessica. And Super Cindy is always here to help. Sure enough. Let's get it, girls. Sports bingers assemble. Sibling rivalry sports. sports. Welcome, one and all, to the big show. We have something very special up front in the show today. A very special event, a very special recognition. Today is the day that we will give our award, and it's it's my personal award, actually, for the Sports Reporter of the Year, the Sibley Rivalry Sports, Chris Brown, Sports Reporter of the Year. You see, there is only one vote for this one. But I decided it was unanimous, CL. It was unanimous. <laughs> I, I would be troubled if it wasn't, if there's only one person voting. <laughs> the Sports Reporter of the Year. C.L. Brown gets the award for the Sports Reporter of the Year. His award, as you can see, we're simulcasting on Instagram a jersey. Yes, a captain's jersey, an actual captain's jersey. He's the captain of many sports hearts. That's real. (laughs) That's real right there. There you go. I hope the number's okay. That's just what I was. I was wait for my birthday or Christmas or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, no, I couldn't wait. It's too excited about it. Oh man! I Congratulations! Appreciate it. I Do you have a speech? It. Do you have an acceptance? <laughs> Thank you very much. God bless. Good night. <laughs> Got a nice Steelers away jersey. The only Steelers jersey I've ever purchased in my life. Okay, that. Yeah. Wait, is, sure that right? about that? is that right? Have I ever? I felt like you got me a Terry Bradshaw jersey before. It didn't have Bradshaw on the back. It was just number 12. <laughs> <laughs> this makes up for that. <laughs> Maybe this could make up but for that. But it had the old school, like it was legitimate old school styling with the, oh, nice. the yellow on the sleeves, yeah. the way it was and yeah. stuff. But nice, yeah. nice, nice. All right. Yeah, I appreciate you, big brother. There you go. There you go. But I but I have to say, I won't be returning a favor ever buying you any Ravens related uh, <laughs> Well, it's not like there's much margin for you to, right? True, <laughs> true, true. You ask my wife about that. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So let's, uh, so he's, as you can see, he is uh, going to go ahead and, man, that thing looks good, man. That yes, thing looks good. You you good with the number? Yeah, that's my line number. Yeah, I know, yeah. and you know, I was I really that's was fine. I really labored over the number, and you might have re- you might remember in the last couple of weeks I've asked you a couple of questions about numbers and stillers and you know kind of odd questions. I don't know. If uh, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. had, but you normally ask me odd questions, so <laughs> <laughs> so it was par for the course. All right, and of course, right now 
jerseyed up. Our course is big playback. The big payback. Do you want to bring it in, CL? Well, this is another. This is this is the Mother's Day edition yes. of sibling rivalry sports, yes. where we honor our mother. Amen. Carolyn Archie, mm -hmm. she uh, was a very accomplished tennis player mm -hmm. uh, for her time. I mean, I think it, it's it, it was always interesting to me thinking back because of of segregation. Um, I mean, the the titles that she held uh, to to even say it in 2019, it just sounds funny to me having to say mm -hmm. the Negro High School Tennis Singles Champions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's yeah. like, wow, this was 1959, mm -hmm. uh, and and through her play and through her accomplishments, uh, you know, there. I always think back to the picture she had with Arthur Ashe and and mm -hmm. getting invited to a camp um, that he I, I, was he kind of directing that. I don't, I don't remember. No, he was training right alongside. Yeah, her. yeah, he totally coming up just like she was. So yeah. Um, so we we wanted to to dedicate this segment to uh, to honoring uh, women athletes, to honoring our mother uh, and and her tennis accomplishments. Yes. How come you never picked up that racket? Well, CL, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, you know, see, I did pick up the racket once and I threw it across the length of the court. If you don't remember, my cousin. <laughs> Sherry, uh, Sherry Berry, she, she uh, we were playing and we were arch rivals because we were the same age and we were playing and I just knew I could beat her and she beat me. And so I proceeded to launch my racket across <laughs> the length of the court and the, uh, not at her, just a high arc. And then the other thing was uh, my racket, I, I remember breaking two or three rackets. I'm serious. Like I remember taking tennis lessons and I would break my racket. So. <laughs> hitting the ball. Well, first and foremost, these were the days. Those those were still wooden rackets. Yes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I I see the I was I was jealous of y'all because I wasn't old enough to start. I remember when um, what was the man's name, Mister Lash, yes, when she had yes. you guys in lessons. Yes. Yeah. Um, I couldn't. I wasn't old enough yet, and right. so. By the time I was old enough, I think basically y'all had stopped taking the lessons mm -hmm. and. I wasn't going to be like, hey, I want to get in tennis <laughs> lessons, you know. Because part of the reason I was jealous, too, was I remember she bought y'all some new shoes oh, to gosh, play I tennis. I totally remember and that. And I was like, totally. yo, I want some sneakers. <laughs> totally remember that. Yeah, those were awesome, man. I enjoyed that. Didn't last, didn't last. But rest assured, my daughter, I got her in it a little bit. Well, what do you think? Uh, we were going to, in honor... Of uh, mothers and, and women in general around the world, we have come up each individually with our top five female athletes list for the big playback today. I'm excited about mine. I love just looking at it. What do you what do you do you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. First I wanna say that my mom is number one. Oh, come now. Yes. But, yes. But for the people today, <laughs> yes. yes. I'm going to say besides that, this, sure. this is like saying, that's yeah. you know, Jordan is my 
my all-time greatest, but we're going to put him aside, and right. we're going we gonna to talk about the other Because greats. no one can compete with that. <laughs> so, yes. Thank you for saying that. Exactly. So I'll start at number five and count down backwards. Um, start with Mia Hamm. Wait, time out. Before you do this, how many do you think we gonna, we're going to share? Just, just out of five. Two. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> one, one being Mia Hamm. I think okay. we probably share her. Okay. Um, I got to meet her briefly when she came back for Stuart Scott's, uh, when the uh, J School honored Stuart Scott uh, a couple of years ago. I don't remember mm-hmm. exact year, but mm-hmm. um, just just graceful, well-spoken, mm-hmm. generous, mm-hmm. Um, real cool. And I, nice. I, I thought for a while she was just so dominant in soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was cool that she also went to school here. I know. <laughs> you know, just to, just to act like you have something in common with well, <laughs> with you, her. You do in that way. Uh, number four, Diana Taurasi, mm-hmm. absolute killer on the court, man. I love watching her play um, from from UConn to to her time in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. I think she's injured right now. Um, I think she got injured uh, back in April um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the sad thing is, you know, it's funny. She's been playing for so long. Like she's only I think she probably only has a few years left. And I think mm-hmm. she's probably been underappreciated as as a player mm-hmm. uh, to me. But I, I think we could have a segment on that women's basketball in general. Mm-hmm. Number three. I'm going with Florence Griffith Joyner, Flo Joe, for y'all that don't know. Still holds the records for the 100, 200 meter dash. I think that was set in the 1988 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, died too young. I think she was 38 mm-hmm. when she passed away, had a seizure in her sleep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but she, um, you know, it would have been cool to kind of see her career played out because it also she she kind of retired young too. You know, um, mm-hmm. she basically stopped running after that '88 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Number two on my list, Cheryl Miller. You talk about dominating basketball force, wow. and I, I would have loved yes. to been a fly on the yes. wall to see her because Reggie Miller used to talk about when they would play one on one and stuff, and uh. she used to give Reggie the business. <laughs> Like, because <laughs> she was, she was older than he was, right, so she, yeah. you know, she yeah. was more physically mature and used yeah. to dominate him, nice. talk trash to him. And number one, I mean, Serena, come on now, come on now. <laughs> I don't think I have to say anything further. Serena Williams, ladies and gentlemen. All you have to say is one, one name. Exactly. Okay. okay. All right. So wait, you said two, and I'm gonna say you're right. Too. All right, here, here are my top five. Number five, I think sort of like Flo Joe, Lisa Leslie, just a picture of grace. No doubt. Longtime basketball player, L.A. area is where she wound up. And uh, I just, every time I saw her, I just felt like she was a picture of grace. I really liked her, uh, enjoyed listening to her. And she she's awesome. So number five, and then number four, Marion Jones. I started to have Marion on my list. Yeah, I and, did. And you know, I mean, hey, you know, we're we're Tar Heels by you know alum alumnus association, and I I think that uh, I just love the way that she represented 
uh, Carolina. I just really think, you know, I mean, so yeah, there's an element of forgiveness in Tech there. Who doesn't need that? But uh, I just love the way she represented Carolina. She's so good. She was a freshman my senior year. And you know what's, what's crazy? Last year at, at the Final Four in San Antonio, I'm taking an Uber to uh, to the stadium, and uh, she we were it was like gridlock kind of traffic, mm-hmm. and she pulled up in the car beside. My. Wow! And I wanted to be like, "Hey, Maria!" But I <laughs> I, I, I left it alone. She glanced over, uh-huh. and I had some kind of goofy smile, like with the recognition <laughs> of, "Hey, that's." And, and she turned her head quick, so I you know I just felt like she probably wasn't having it, so. Well, you had more restraint and uh, and a read for that situation than I would have because I would have been sticking my head out the window. All right, let's go to number three, Mia Hamm. Again, for me, I just think about who did I enjoy watching and who, you know, if there's that that scholastic commonality, who repre- she just represented so well. Everything she did made us all proud. Just so proud of her. And I remember a lot of, you know, her time, you know, playing soccer and the U.S. women's team and everything. I was I was out west, you know, and uh, so, so proud to say, wait, you know, just just folks, please recognize who's leading the charge and where she's from. All right. And I have a tie for number two, if I can do that. Uh, I have a tie. One is Serena. And, and I really consider Serena to be. The, the Michael Jordan of, of female athletics. I think Serena, she wins, has won so much. She's even gotten cheated where she should have won, but she, she just has won so much on a Grand Slam level and represented this country unlike anybody else. She's just so good, you know? So she's part of that. And she's the youngest. I'll throw that in there. Nice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And yeah, I mean, hey, shout out to Venus too, who who paid the way. Uh and then uh and then one name that you might not know, CL, and her name is Jenny Berenger Simpson. Wait, I don't know if you know her or not. Do you know? I do not. Okay. Now she is a a, a distance runner, an Olympian. Um, went to University of Colorado. Uh, in 2006 Rio, she was the bronze medalist of 1,500 meters. She was ranked number one in the world in 2014. She, you know, nine-time USA track and field champion. Um, when she was in, still uh, in school, she was a gold medalist for the world championships 2011. So she's, she's done a lot running. But the, the connection here, CL, is that when I was in Orlando, she was one of my ministry assistants Oh, my wow. And we That's used to crazy. get this. We used to call her. I have a video I could show you right now. We used to call her Air Chop Jenny because of the way she ran. When she <laughs> ran, it was like she was chopping the air. This is before any formal training or anything. That's yeah. just how she ran. And we did a little video of me and her on a, in a race. We did a video of us racing around a track. You know, it was scripted and everything. So, so you know, that's why she won. But, no, nah, I'm not going to say it like that. But, uh, yeah, and she went on to be a world champion. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, the Jenny Berenger Simpson. And then, number one, some people might say, oh, man, that's a that's a cop-out or whatever. But Josina Anderson. Josina <laughs> Anderson. I mean, you know, not only representing as an athlete when she was here. You're but standing hard over there, man. You were, yeah, yeah, nah, come on. Now. I don't think that's standing. If I'm standing, I'm standing for everybody. But yeah, man, no, seriously. 
Listen, here's here's what it is for me. I love the way that she takes her track and field knowledge and applies it to, you know, what she's doing now, which is NFL Live and and thinking about training and what athletes need to go through to excel here or there. And it works. She knows what she's talking about when it comes to speed. She represented so well. And of course, she represented the show too, our first guest. Boom. That's mine. That's mine, CL. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're, we're we've kind of gone long, so I, I won't I won't go in on your pick. But um, going back to to uh, our mother and and obviously how much we love and revere her. Amen. And uh, one of the things about her not pursuing tennis even further than she did um, was because of us. Because you know she yeah. was like she she was ready to have a family yeah. and she didn't she didn't want to go through the grind of what she would have had to go through to try and be a professional mm-hmm. so um mm-hmm. salute salute she she elevated our lives in her priority list above her own achievement which could have been you know up to the sky so love you very much mom thank you so much yes and we forgot to say Winston Salem Forsyth County High School Hall of Famer. Yes. As well Absolutely. as Atkins High School Hall of Famer. That's right. That's right. Good stuff. We're going to take a quick break here to pay off uh, or pay some bills around here. But when we come back, we're going to have the Kansas City Chief beat writer for The Athletic, Nate Taylor. Good friend of mine. He's going to drop some knowledge on the Chiefs as well as the NFL. Coming up next. La 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 la. Yeah. Welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. Joining us tonight, he covers the Kansas City Chiefs for the athletic colleague and friend of mine, Nate Taylor. Welcome to the show, Nate. Nate, Nate, Nate. Hey, hey, hey. thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a fun time, fun off season, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's I, I don't envy uh, you guys in the NFL, man. It seems like like you never get an off season. That's what it. <laughs> it seems like there's always something going on. It's true. It's true. It's like I've only covered two leagues, um, and they are both like insane during the off season. And the first league I used to cover quite a bit was the NBA, and of course, like June and July is just like insane. And, yeah, the NFL is, like, catching up in terms of, like, hey, we have things that are <laughs> you, don't, you don't get a vacation. What do you want? Like, however many weeks? It's silly. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to start off kind of broad um, in general with, with uh, I know I feel like there's a lot of excitement in Kansas City right now because of, of Patrick Mahomes, at quarterback, and, and the season that they're coming off of. Uh, what is it like? And you're a native uh, of Kansas City. So what is it like to when when the Chiefs are at their best and the Royals are at their best? Whose town is it? Man, that's a really good question. I, I still think it's it's a football town at its heart. And so we've seen, you know, ever since, really since Patrick was drafted, um, the, the, the conversation and the agenda and the tides really shifted towards the Chiefs because, you know, it was the first time in 30 years. So it was the mm-hmm. first time in my life 
that the Chiefs drafted a quarterback in the first round, and that, that was in mm. 2017. So mm. before then, I think the last time they did it was 83 with Todd Blackledge. Mm. Um, by the way, they could have taken Dan Marino. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, it, it had never happened before, at least in my lifetime. So ever since Patrick was drafted, the assumption was, okay, Alex Smith will play the final, you know, one of his final years with the team. Uh, Patrick will get like this sort of rookie red shirt kind of year, and then it's basically a team. And so I, I joined the Athletic right around that time. Um, so we're going into, I guess, fully year two with me and, and the team. But it's been like remarkable how much um, Patrick's faces everywhere. The fact that he is the first player in Chiefs history to win the um, the league's most coveted award, the, you know, uh, the MVP. Uh, he leads the team to their first AFC Championship home game ever in franchise history. They had always won. They had always played AFC Championship games on the road. This is they had finally done it on the, at home. And look, he went toe to toe with with Tom Brady twice. And there's an argument to be made, and the Chiefs will say it. Like, hey, if we had the ball to start the fourth quarter, we or excuse me, to start overtime, we'd win and go to the Super Bowl, and perhaps we're Super Bowl champs. So. They've made quite the changes, of course, since then. Um, they've got a new defensive coordinator in Steve Fagnola. But it's it's fun as for me to be from Kansas City to watch how in the 90s it was very much Chiefs-centric. Everybody cared about the Chiefs. And then in the mid to sort of late 2000s, the Royals started to get really good in terms of their farm system. And then guys like Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Lorenzo Cain, Asides Escobar, all these guys you sort of acquired either through the draft or trades gets the Royals their first, you know, World Series appearance in 30 years, and then they win the World Series in 2015. And then there's this sort of this down period of like, hey, well, you know, the Royals are still competitive, but they may not be championship caliber anymore. And then right around that time is when the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. So, so the Royals sort of dominated the town for, I feel like, five to six years, and now it's completely flipped to where it's the Chiefs' town again. Yeah, it's funny. I was there for uh, the uh, NCAA tournament when um, uh, it was the, I guess, Midwest Regional Finals, Kansas and, and Oregon. And the Royals were having that same weekend, the Royals had a uh, like an autograph signing session or something like that. You know, and it was crazy downtown by the hotel I was at. It was just like completely dominated by by Royals fans and in their gear and hats and everything. Um, that that was that was a crazy time. Well, right now, kind of hanging over the heads of the Chiefs, I feel like is mm-hmm. is the Tyreek Hill situation and and how they're gonna deal uh, with him. What what can you tell us what the latest is with his situation and you know um, he he's been taken off of the active roster right like he didn't get put on the uh, uh, what what do they refer to yeah the commissioners yeah, list so right so you, you guys are close and and again I appreciate you guys having me on because um, as of right now he's he's indefinitely suspended by the team. But he's not been put on the commissioner's exempt list yet because what I've been told uh, through people involved with the league was that the only way he would probably be put on the, in the commissioner's exempt list is if he is charged with a crime. And that is yet to happen, hmm. even though the district attorney's office in Jasper County, Kansas, where Tyreek Hill lives, um, said in a press conference in a press conference two weeks ago that they couldn't charge or, or, or come with a charge from a prosecution standpoint because they couldn't determine who in the family, whether it's 
Tyreek Hill himself or his fiance Crystal Espinal, they couldn't determine who injured their three-year-old son. And, of course, much of this criminal case involves their son having a broken arm. Uh, as far as we know, that probably occurred in January. Now, the timeline of this is so weird because neither the police nor the chiefs want to give you any real sense of, like, when this truly happened. Hmm. But there is an Instagram photo of Tyreek Hill's son that was dated on January 24th. So we know it's literally somewhere between the end of the season, which I would probably say the end of the Pro Bowl, whenever Ty because Tyreek Hill did play in the Pro Bowl, which I think was mid-January or, or, or somewhere in there, and then somewhere between then and, say, January 24th is when his son apparently had his injury. Um, and the investigation started in March when a separate individual who's not associated with the family as we know it sort of told the police and then the police went to Tyree Hill's house and that's how the investigation started. Now there's an audio recording that a local television station here acquired through a friend of Crystal where it sort of implicates both of their voices into the fact that maybe Crystal lied to detectives either of the police department or in terms of child and protective services. And also in the audio recording, Tyree Hill is sort of uh, going back to his abusive ways in some con, you know, in some way, saying that you know he's threatening Crystal and saying that he should, you know, excuse me, that she should be terrified of him based on how yeah. this all may play out. So uh, neither one of them in the in the family look good. Uh, the boy is not in either parent's custody. It's it's looking more and more likely like the boy will never be in their custody, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but in terms of suspension or the commissioner's exemplist, none of that's going to happen. Uh, or excuse me, none of that's really going to move unless he is charged with a crime. And there's been nothing over the last two weeks that has suggested beyond this audio recording that the police have really much to go on because it's very much he said versus she said in this sort of criminal case. But I think unless he is really charged with a crime or is arrested or goes to trial, I just don't see that she's releasing him anytime soon. And I don't see the league doing much beyond a maybe six to eight game suspension, much like what Ezekiel Elliott went through where he was never charged with a crime, even though he was, yeah. there was allegations of sexual harassment. And because he was never charged, the only thing the league could do was sort of suspend him for violating the, the player's conduct policy within the NFL's rule book. That's, yeah. that's my best guess right now. And obviously that could change between you know, now whenever training camp starts in July. Gotcha. We're, we're speaking with Nate Taylor, the Athletics, Kansas City Chiefs beat writer. Um, so I, I've been hard on the NFL <laughs> on our show. Uh, it, putting it lightly. With, with dealing with, with <laughs> issues like this of, of domestic abuse and that kind of stuff. All right. Well, on, on a lighter note, on the lighter side here, I am, a, I am an outspoken Baltimore Ravens fan. I want to ask you a question about your response and your honest heart condition. Let's just go okay. back. Let's jump back on the timeline here. Let's go back. Uh, and and it's uh, in, in Kansas City, in the stadium, in Arrowhead. Um, it's fourth down and nine in the waning moments oh of Chiefs versus Ravens. In your mind and heart, sir, Sir Nate, did you, were you saying this thing's over? That's a good, that's a great question, Chris. Um, I, I didn't know if I would say it was over just because I had seen Patrick do like crazy things already earlier in that part of the season. Yeah. I will tell you this. 
when the ball is snapped on fourth and nine, and it's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in in, in, in person, uh-huh. um, and people should go look it up on YouTube, but when it's fourth and nine and the ball is snapped, the first two seconds of that play is over. That's where I thought. Where uh-huh. you can, if you look at the play, it's clear that, like, Patrick is trying to find Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that's right. Travis Kelsey is covered. They bracketed and him. And he... Yeah, and they started, and there's pressure, I think, on, on Patrick's left side. So he has yes. to scramble right. That's right. Once that happened, I'm like, you know, it was a great – one, it was a really good game because it, was, yeah. it wasn't it was high scoring. It was kind of it – was, it was two styles going against one another. It seemed like Baltimore was a tougher team that day, honestly, in mm. terms of punishing the Chiefs uh-huh. in the trenches. And so he's scrambling to the right, and I'm like, well, you know, that's – you know, you can't win every home game, which is what the Chiefs <laughs> – almost did last year true and he's at basically the raven sideline uh-huh. and he just chucks a ball downfield and you're yeah. going well it is fourth and nine i mean you got to give your guy a chance uh-huh. and then you realize oh no he actually he actually noticed for a split second that tyree hill was going to cut upfield to a basically an open spot on the field and they had told us after the game that in those sort of scramble situations they had practiced that enough where the quarterback can ID that, oh, Tyreek Hill's actually going away from a defender and he sees the open spot on the field, and, of course, he's the fastest player in the league. Yes. And I'm Patrick Mahomes. I have one of, if not the strongest arms in the league, and all I got to do is give my guy a chance. It's one of the it's one of the greatest plays. And, of course, if you're a Ravens fan, it sucks because <laughs> that play happens, and then I think on another fourth and goal they score a touchdown. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson fumbles on the last possession of regular of, of, of regulation. The yeah. Chiefs get the ball in overtime, go and, and win the game on a field goal. So it's yeah. it was one of the more ridiculous games. And I always describe that weekend as like that's when we knew who was the one seed and the two seed in the AFC because within minutes of Patrick completing fourth and nine, the Miami Dolphins pull off the Miami Miracle. That's and right. The Patriots mm-hmm. where yeah. Gronkowski can't tackle. Backfield. <laughs> 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 And that is the only way that the Chiefs hosted the AFC Championship game over the Patriots because the Patriots had beat them early in the year. So, um, yeah, crazy weekend. I'm glad you brought me back to it because it's like, you know, after all this Tyree Hill stuff, it is fun to talk about, like, football. (laughs) True. There you go. Actual football. Excellent answer. And excellent that the Chiefs won that game, too. No, that's not excellent. (laughs) That's not. Well, he's a stiller. That's why he's saying that. Well, Nate, uh, we appreciate you being on, man. Our, our time has come to an end here. Uh, we would love to have you back sometime, um, uh, probably closer to the season when when we can really get into, you know, uh, right, more football. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Nate. Well, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I would love it. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I, I, I appreciate it. And, yeah, let's, let's chat when, you know, players are actually on the field doing football there. <laughs> Nice. Exactly. Well, stay tuned, folks. Come on back on the other side on 97.9 The Hill, the sibling rivalry sports show. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. Are you chilling in your team, squarely in your team's corner, or did you just jump into the corner recently because of recent success? Cough, cough, Carolina Hurricanes, cough, cough. I want to talk a little bit about this whole bandwagon phenomenon, CL. What, what, what's your take on it? 
Is there a proper time to jump in? <laughs> is it acceptable? What? Proper time is whenever you jump in. It, it, the, the, the way I see it as acceptable, like for right now, if you are, I mean, if you live in North Carolina, I doubt anybody in Asheville is like all into it right now. But um, <laughs> that, that isn't just a hockey fan. Like, I mean, a casual bandwagon jumper. But if, if you're living in this area, I mean, there's a certain amount of civic pride that you take when there's a buzz of a sports team doing well. So even even if you're not a hockey fan, even if you haven't been to a game, the fact that, oh, they're advancing, oh, they're winning, oh, they're getting one of uh, hockey's, you know, I don't know if he's revered commentator, Don Cherry, but longtime face of NHL, face of hockey, getting him riled up, you know, just because of some of the, the celebrations that they've had and stuff, which I, I love seeing. Um, I think it's fine to jump on the Carolina Hurts. But, I, I mean, I, to a certain extent, I've jumped on the bandwagon because I, I didn't watch – uh, any regular season hockey games, but I've I've watched them in the playoffs, mm. and I've been rooting for them in the playoffs. And, mm. you know, um, I don't see anything wrong with that because I'm here and because that's what people are talking about. Right. Well, you know, I, I do agree with your point about civic pride, but I think my general disposition when it comes to, you know, jumping on the bandwagon is twofold. The first part, I think it's best summated by paraphrasing Don Cheadle's war machine in Avengers Endgame when he says, hey, all of us in this, hey, hey, new guy, all of us in this room is about that superhero life or super fan life. But if you don't mind my asking, where the babe have you been all this time? That's that's kind of my take on it. It's been a long season, an arduous path up to this point. And so the the second half of it, CL, for me is, the second half of it is, if you're going to jump on, stay on. If you're going to jump on, stay on. That's what's fair. Uh, They're showing you who they are. They're a good team. They're doing it big. Stay on. Don't, Don't leave. Stay on. Okay, and so I guess I could, but but you got to understand, CL, I'm not, I'm not, I am not, I'm going to take my, my Seattle radio show persona now, the villain. I am not rooting for the Hurricanes until, again, I can have my day in court or in a ring <laughs> with Dundon <laughs> for what he did to the AAF. Again, your, your anger is misguided because he wasn't the original uh uh, he he wasn't originally in on the AAF, and if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have stayed around as long as, as long as the brief period it did. It would have ended even quicker than that. Those whole two weeks, yeah, thanks. But sticking with A, that's two more than you had. <laughs> sticking with the Hurricanes, though, for a second. They're, they're actually in action tonight, game one at Boston, at the Boston Bruins. Um, I believe when they won the Stanley Cup uh, back in 2000 and was it 2006? Um, I think that uh, they also had to go through beating the Boston Bruins to to get to uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I, as a disclaimer, I'm not a hockey guy, yes. so I don't just neither <laughs> history are. doesn't just roll off my tongue like that. But right. I think it, this is this is exciting to me. This is this is really neat for the area, um, and, and uh, the bandwagon is certainly open and and acceptable to me. Well, it'll be. I'm not gonna lie. It'll be interesting to just follow along and see 
what's going to happen here. So uh, we also want you to follow along with us, folks. Stay tuned because we're coming back with the brownout only on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back. Let's get started with the brownout. The brownout. Speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs, quarterback Pat Mahomes lit up the NFL in his first year as a full-time starter. What are the chances he has a similar year this season? CL, if I may, if I may, CL, I'm going to register a big fat no on that one. Defensive coordinators in the NFL are too smart. While I do love Mahomes' style, Love love the way that kid plays. I do not think he's going to dominate the way he did before. I think they are missing too many pieces in Kansas City, both on both sides of the ball. And by the way, he's on the Madden, uh, the new Madden football <laughs> game, and that that's not going to go well. No, I'm just, I don't know. Who knows? That could have been your answer, and I would have <laughs> accepted it. Um, I think he will have a similar type year. I think he has the talent for it, and and uh, as Bucky Brooks once said, the, the, he's got that arm talent. <laughs> that what did he call it? Did he say arm talent, arm sure. strength? Sure anyway, uh, I, I think that um, ultimately you can't play defense in any league anymore. <laughs> in the NBA, in the NFL, the rules are catered towards offense. And so because of that, he'll still get his, basically. Next question. The NCAA football transfer portal is filling up fast, just like it does in basketball. Are we officially in the age of free agency in college sports? I say no to this because first and foremost, you still, in most cases, the overwhelming majority of transfer cases, you got to sit out a year, you know, so that that's still a bit of a deterrent, even though you do still see uh, a lot of numbers of kids uh, transferring. And and I, th- I think they are going to get to a point, though, and there, there's been rumblings where they're going to tweak this system a little bit. So um, hopefully the power will go to the players. I mean, I'm all for it. And coaches don't have to sit out when they take another job at the end of the year and, and already got kids committed to coming to play for them. So uh, more power to the kids, the better. Good point. And by the way, what you yeah, I go with what you pointed out earlier, which is that the system has not been reviewed and, and renewed and it's kind of archaic the way it is. So I do I actually believe that this is going to be a version, a college version of free agency. And I, I believe somehow in there, maybe it's a long conversation, that it'll be a step towards con- compensating players. I think this will be a, a key step in that. That's just me. Oakland Athletics pitcher Mike Fires threw a no-hitter against Cincinnati on Tuesday. What do you view as the most difficult athletic feat to achieve? All right, so I, I'm going to go with, for the, for the toughest achievement uh, on any kind of field. I think um, throwing a perfect football game, not getting a perfect passer rating, which a number of gentlemen have done, but actually completing every pass. I was going to say going undefeated in the NFL, but completing every pass on the individual level has never been done. And I'm not talking about some some cat that comes off the bench and throws two passes. You know, I think it's a minimum of 10 passes. Completing every one never happened. I would have said probably two years ago, uh, finishing the season with a triple-double in basketball, but since Russell Westbrook has has made that become a little bit more, or at least made it seem easier, I'm going to say hitting for the cycle in a Major League Baseball game. Because you could, 
man, I, I feel like I've been at games where a guy needed a triple. A triple in and of itself might be the hardest thing to do because <laughs> you're just right in between. You know, you, you don't have enough speed to get home, obviously, but it, it, the, the ball was placed right and you can get past second. Uh, but I, I think hitting for the cycle because it's it's. You're not going to stop yourself, you know, if, if say you needed a double, <laughs> but you could stretch it out. You're not going to stop to say I got a double and it's completes by cycle. So, yeah, I think hitting for the cycle is up there. Last question. Toronto guard Kawhi Leonard is quietly having one of the best individual playoff runs ever, but because of his demeanor, it's not getting the credit he deserves. Can quiet players be rightfully appreciated or does he need to draw more attention to himself? Kawhi Leonard, to me, would be getting a lot more publicity if he was just showed a little bit more personality, not necessarily obnoxiously, but just allowed himself, put himself out in front of cameras a little bit more and, and, and be and if he was a little bit more public. So I think people would appreciate him more, appreciate what he's done on the court more if they kind of knew more about him and if they kind of related to him in that sense. By being quiet, by being in the shadows, he, he's not putting himself out enough there. And, and I, I just don't think people have taken to it. You know, what's interesting, you ever heard of Barry Sanders? I, I think that it is possible for a guy to, to have that quiet, kind of just low-key personality, but still just light everything on fire, including people's hearts. I think that people still give him so much love. So I think it's, it's always interesting to see a player like that, but you're right. I, I, do, I do think you're right about Leonard. I mean, he would, he'd be getting more props and credit if, if I guess he were a little louder. And uh, nobody can get more loud than me when I'm excited about another great show, CL. So thank you all for tuning in, and we're going to keep doing it next week. So come on back. My name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling, Sibling Rivalry, Rivalry Sports, Sports on 97.9 The Hill.